Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so excited to have you with us for this episode, and excited, obviously, for the return of NBA Basketball That Counts. My guest is Matt Moore of the Action Network, and once again, we are doing tiers, and Matt proposed the rules. It is basically best ball. I let him explain it at the very beginning. Led to a absolutely fascinating conversation, and we have some real disagreements, which is something that I enjoy with Matt, and we, we work through it. And... This week's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code for your sign-up bonus, and you can listen after the very end of the episode for an additional segment as well from from our friends at Bet Online. Episode with Matt runs about forty-five minutes. We cover all twenty-two teams in the bubble in some form or fashion, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I will start this with the cover, basically the conversation that we had. I asked you about because we're doing tiers about what what should be our criteria because we've had so much time off and I brought up I was thinking about overall team quality and I thought that you had a nice a nice spin on it so I'll let you explain it. Yeah, I just think you know it's kind of like best ball. Um, what what is the 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 absolute apex version of yourself look like? How good is the best version um, of you? And I think that question is really interesting to look at peak capacity what what is the best version of this team and how do do those tiers work out relative to just what they usually are and i will note for myself and please tell me if you agree or disagree that for me players that we know are unavailable or will be limited in a specific way i counted them at that stage so it's not like oh if demontis bonus was 100 percent tomorrow the the facers will be this we know he's not going to be that and we know right Eric Gordon's going to be out for a couple weeks, though that's different because he'll be back, and so you can think right. about what he'll be later on. But I thought, I thought those two were were good ones, and though hopefully many of you will have listened to a tiers podcast or specifically ours, the way I like to think of tiers is that you can make a credible argument for the teams within a tier being in a different order, and you if if they're not in the same tier, then it's much harder to make an argument. And you know, it's kind of like, but. This one's a little bit different because of how you, how you draw the lines, but that's pretty much the way that I see tiers is that you can make a credible argument. So if I have the Bucks and the Lakers, let's say in my tier one, that and I have I list say the Bucks first, that means that I have the Bucks in a higher spot than them, but that doesn't mean it's you know a no brainer or anything silly like that. Right. I mean, I think uh, a lot of it is if if the Bucks and Lakers both play to the best basketball they possibly could, they would be pretty even. Like they would be pretty even versus if the Bucks and the heat played to their absolute capacity. Um, even though I, I have my eyes on that second round matchup, um, the Bucks th- sh- still should be demonstrably better. So right. um, that's kind of the way to think about it versus like if, if the best version of you is, is like, uh, you can win or lose those games. That's or series. That's, that to me is the way, best way to group them. I wound up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tiers for twenty-two teams. Danny, I ended up with six, but I also stopped caring as much when I got to the bottom three teams and probably could have sub-tiered it and just went no. Yeah, uh, but I probably I pro- it probably should be seven, and maybe I'll maybe I will do that between now and then. But let's start at the top, and th- so I think the the terminology that I would use here is like unquestionably championship quality. So it's like their best ball is championship in this year or a reasonable year you know not comparing them to like the warriors of the best years or the prime miami heat or anything like that and my the three teams that i think you know absolutely have that and i I, it's the same three title contenders but i part of why i have them as title contenders is because i think they can get there and my order here is clippers bucks lakers i think that the clippers absolute ceiling because of their offensive versatility and some of the specific strengths they have is a little higher than some of the other two it's interesting just because so many smart people I know are very, very high on the Clippers, and I can't get there. I just can't. I cannot pull myself to that level. Um, it's not that I don't think Kawhi Leonard is elite. He's arguably the best player in the league. It's not that I don't think Paul George is awesome. I wrote a big thing on him last year about his MVP candidacy. Uh, phenomenal player, underrated passer. Um I've always loved Montrez Harrell. Lou Williams is a bucket getter. Uh, Marcus Morris brings a lot in the ad- advanced metrics with him are incredible. Uh, Ivica Zubac honestly continues to impress me in ways that I was not very high on him as rookie season, but he's making huge strides. Uh, Pat Bev is Pat Bev. Like there's there's a lot to like here. 
I still there's something about them I just don't I can't quite buy into. Uh, some of it I think is that I think their de- their defense is not as good as we tend to think of it. We just kind of go, oh, Kawhi and PG and Papev, so they're elite. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. You d- yeah, we, have, uh, we haven't is- seen it in the same way that we have for like the Bucks, let's say. Right, and and part of it is we just kind of assume, right? Like there's this assumption of well, we haven't seen it, but we know they can do it. And I'm like, I don't know. I think versus the best teams, you're gonna have to know how to do it. It gets hard. Like it's not. You know, it's not you don't get to just be like, oh, we can't we got it today. Like you have to be able to to construct that. I think the Clippers, if they're feeling it, sure. If they're if everything is operating well, there's chemistry issues a little bit there. That was documented in January by the Athletic. They've improved. I talked to Yovan Buha today, honestly, for the for the Action Network podcast, and he was talking about how that's improved. But there's still a little bit of awkwardness there, and there's a little bit of separation. I think with some of the personalities on that team. And this is where we get to where it's not just tactical stuff and it's not just uh, analytics stuff. It's it's also these are little differentiators. So for me, the, the list is Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. I have Clippers third. Yeah, um, and, that, and that's totally fine. I th- what, the Clippers are a true anomaly in that in the modern era, there have been teams where you take it on faith. I mean, the Warriors are, are a good example of that. The years that they didn't care about the regular season. You could go with some of the, some of the Cavs teams too, the year that LeBron coasted a little bit more in the regular season. And... I think that there is a part of it with the Clippers that's so unusual is that you don't do that with a first-year team, but I think part of it is that the, the Kawhi Leonard-led Raptors were so much better last year, and like it, you you could see the talent on paper, but you're right. like We haven't, only for a couple of games, I've been invoked a couple of times on this podcast and others about the game when they demolished the Rockets in the first half, that was shortly before the hiatus, and yeah, they had those few little moments where they were absolutely dominant, but... I, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I with the defense, it is more what they could be. And the other big factor that makes me a little queasy about the Clippers is that I worry that Doc Rivers has too many choices. Mm. And yeah. one of the best things that can happen for a coach and for a team is to know exactly who your best five guys are and not really be tempted to to stray from that because uncertainty breeds the possibility of let's call it inefficiency or suboptimality. And the Clippers, I mean, whether that's going back, Nate and I for a, for a project did the uh, we did the fourth quarter of a Lakers Clippers game when the Lakers just attacked Lou Williams relentlessly, and he wasn't doing anything on offense. And so Doc, having Harrell, having Zubats, having Lou Williams and Pat Bev, and all all these guys who aren't core but are important and might not be the right guy on that day, makes it a, makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and I'm worried about Marcus Morris not being the supernova that he was before the break. Like, right. I think, like, I, I liked Mo Harkless and Jamichael Green. They were guys that knew their role. They knew how to fit in. Like, they've cut well. They can hit from the outside. I, I They're never going to think that they're the best player on the team. Marcus Morris is going to take some shots where you're just like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, and it's not and like he's so good. De- he's good defensively, but it's not like he's unbelievably great there and so that you're, you're always getting that from him and so the other stuff if it hits or miss you're okay with it like let's say marcus smart like sometimes marcus smart takes shots that you don't love but marcus smart is going to go at it defensively in a way that consistently that marcus morris doesn't right and so like a lot of it is is you know the bucks and lakers i think have a clearly defined hierarchy and no one is going to be stepping outside of those bounds outside of like kuzma maybe a little um and that's it. Like the Bucks have a very defined hierarchy. For me, like with the Bucks, it's look if they're hitting shots with the outside, which is their best ball, and Giannis is attacking and drawing fouls, which is his best ball. Good luck. Like I, I don't know what you, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like this would also their best ball involves a healthy mix of both Giannis as creator in transition and also using him as a screener. I wrote about that action action this week. Um, they have more wrinkles in their offensive set than they were used to than they did last year, rather. And so to me, like, I wrote an entire thing about how the Bucks should win the title, but I think they probably won't. <laughs> I don't think they will, but they should. Uh, to me, if, if if everything were to go to plan, the Bucks are absolutely the best team. It is. I mean, the, the, their, their credentials are, are incredible. I mean, so if you want to use cleaning the glasses filter, which takes out garbage time, Milwaukee's point differential in the pre-hiatus time, they outscored opponents by 11.2 points per 100 possessions. The next strongest was the Lakers at 7.1. And it's not like the Bucks were unbelievably healthy and everything went right for them and, and nobody else. Had, no, that, was, that wasn't what this season was. I mean, Giannis missed time. Basically, every, I mean, they, had, they had a bunch of guys that missed per time, but Chris Middleton was a lot better. They were able to get contributions from the bench. And they're well coached, obviously, with Budenholzer, though I'm a little bit worried about him in the in the playoffs just because of his record, though. I 
the Boonholzer thing is interesting because I don't know that there has been a series. I, I'm doing this off the cuff that Mike Boonholzer coached where I thought that his team lost to an inferior opponent. But there have been a few where I was like, eh, you know, maybe could have helped it a little bit. Yeah, I think you look at uh, Atlanta 2015 when they almost lost to the Wizards. Yes, yeah, there um, are a few almost. that Those are the ones that scare me. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that's one I think you really look at and go, hmm, you probably should have won better. Like, I don't think the Cavs were better uh, that season, but it, it probably, like, they shouldn't have gotten swept. Like, that's a good example of it. And a lot of it is, What's interesting, though, amongst these three top teams, all three of these coaches, I think, are relatively static. They're not outside-the-box thinkers. Like, I like Vogel. I love all three of these coaches a lot. You do not see them being like, yeah, we're going to like, we're gonna really innovate. They're not Spolstra, Nick Nurse, that kind of caliber of, we're going to really do something outside of the box in order to maximize what we have. Their guys fit into pretty traditional roles. They like playing two bigs. Like, um, well, they, and, and that ties in with something, my, my, my concern about the Lakers is that while the things they do they are exceedingly good at, I don't know what kind of counterpunches they could even have. But at the same point, when your 1-2 is like, you know, okay, you're going to run a LeBron AD pick and roll or LeBron with another big and have him space, like, good luck stopping that in the first place. Yeah, and so much of it with, the, with the Lakers is just their floor is so high. Yes. Um, but this is best ball, and like their best ball is when their three points are, are hitting, when Danny Green is, and KCP are knocking down shots and, you know, is also, there, when Davis is taking a little bit over, because um, like I'm lower on Davis than most people are. Like Davis has really has garnered a lot of accolades this season, um, and to me, he's mostly just been like a fill-in guy. Um, I've watched a lot of a lot of defensive clips that uh, honestly don't reflect great on him, and so the, the defensive player of the year stuff is really surprising. He's awesome defensively. There's no question AD's awesome defensively, but I don't I don't I would not put his performance this season as elite. Um, but he fills in these things very well. And so, like, with LeBron playing the way that he is, which is insane, it does it, – it's really difficult. Like, I mean, that's where a lot of this gets to is is I like the Lakers as a whole outside the context of their best ball for a lot of the reasons that are beyond LeBron and AD. I like their team identity. I like their defense. I like their veteran, like, knowledge. They know what to do. I like their coaching. But the best ball is, is very largely, like, they have LeBron. And if LeBron is playing at the absolute – peak of his capacity i do not know if i know like there's not a better player there even with Kawhi, even with Giannis, like lebron can't get to his best version every game because he's 35 but the best version of him now is still better than everybody else's i might be a Kawhi partisan there but it's close and i, I mean lebron is unbelievable and we have we haven't seen him you know the last time we saw him in the playoffs he was damn good and last year, the reason that, you know, that was a very different for injury reasons and everything else. And something that I find really striking, like I was kind of thinking about why, why is it these three teams and no one else? And I think all three of them, maybe not in the Clippers case, manifestly all the time, they're all very good defensive teams that are the term that I've been using a lot this year is undeniable on offense. You know, like if, if it's working, best ball idea here, these are elite defensive teams that also have offenses that are ludicrously hard to stop. And every other team, in the 22, there's something that makes you hesitate. That like, oh, well, maybe this won't, even if even at their best, maybe this won't work. Maybe it's the, a team's defense. Maybe it's that their offense can bog down, whatever, or they're unproven or something else. These three teams, we, we either know or have a really good idea of what they can do. My second tier uh, is four teams, and it's the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Sixers, and the Rockets. Mine is similar, but I think the differences will be fun to talk about. So I'll start with I have three of those four, and that's the um, the Rockets, the wait, so you Rockets, the Celtics, and the Sixers. Is that right? The Celtics, the Nuggets, the Sixers, and the Rockets. Yes. So I do not have the Nuggets in this year. I'm I'm close at the top of the next tier. Um, but I added two others that I were actually my two hardest additions to this tier, and it was and it was the Raptors because I love their defense. We'll talk about them in a bit, and I. I I felt queasy about it. My, I was like, do I put the Mavericks here? Or do I not? And they were the best offense in the league. They, I, I think that their defense could be good enough. Like they're they're kind of like a Bizarro Rockets to me, and that's like I believe in one end and I'm not sure on the other end. And so I was just like, well, I so I probably should have put the Nuggets here too because those teams are very very close. But oh God, it was hard. They're like because best ball to me made Dallas more viable. They were they were clearly the tier below uh, under my original theory of this podcast. Dallas is interesting in that there's signs that their defense may be better than it was earlier, but I still 
there were various games even in the scrimmages where I was just like, you just don't have the bodies. Like you yeah. just don't have the guys to get the periods of long, prolonged stops. Like I think that's one of be one of the things is they'll have periods where they're trading buckets and going on runs and when the offense is working and it usually works and they're very dangerous. But there are also times when it like they just you can just tell it like, they don't have the the ability to get the stops that they need. Um Yeah, and that's that totally worries. fair. Totally fair. I think you know, the Nuggets are, are interesting. I, I actually think that if, if we did a normal tier, like if we did like overall or likelihood to win the title, like some of the other precepts that we've used for these tiers before, I would definitely have the Nuggets lower um, because their floor is relatively low compared to the other teams in their like grouping while also being substantially high enough to secure them like a three seed in the West. Like they didn't play well almost the entire season and still are third in the West entering resumption of play. And that's largely because their floor continues to be very high. Their, their capacity though is exceptional. Uh, And their capacity, we've only seen it like very few times. They had a lot of injuries this season. They've, we've seen it very few times the games against the Lakers, uh, both times when LeBron played, they lost both of those games, but they were both competitive, especially the one before the All-Star break. It was Oh, yeah, tense, I remember that game. Yeah, it was a tense overtime, like rough calls going against the home team. It, it was a really interesting, compelling game, and it shows you how good the Nuggets can be. And that, that game, honestly, is like my best kind of proof here of, look, their best basketball, they can lose in overtime to the Lakers. And that's like as close to a really good Lakers performance because that's part of of how I judge these things too, right? It's like, well, how did the Lakers play that night? And it's they played really well. Um, you know, the Clippers absolutely demolished them in their last matchup, but the Lakers or the Nuggets won the one previously when Paul George was out, and we just haven't had enough to see whether or not that how that matchup works out. I still kind of like the Nuggets matchup versus the Clippers, and I think. The Nuggets are good enough defensively when they're dialed in, when they're putting two on ball and recovering, and they have athletes now with Jeremy Grant and even Michael Porter Jr. a little bit. Um, Their defense is better than advertised, and they don't put Jokic in positions where he can be exploited. Everyone's like, yeah, but eventually you can just target Jokic. And I I asked coaches about that, and they were just like, we're not going to let them switch on him. Like, we're not just going to let them get the switch. We're not going to allow that. We're just, we're going to blitz them and get the ball out of whoever the guy that would switch, that would force the switch onto him. Um, we're going to get that ball out of his hands and we'll rotate and make somebody else try and beat us. So they've got ways to cover for Jokic and Jokic is honestly an underrated defender when they're at their best. They're also hitting shots, which this has been a rough season for them to hit shots. That's why they're not top tier. If they had a little bit better shooting, they would probably be in that, that very bottom of the top tier, but they don't. Um, so there, I think they have to go there. The Sixers are only there because of this Ben Simmons moving to power forward thing that fundamentally reshapes what their capacity is and improves them. Their ceiling is much higher with Shake Milton uh, or literally any point guard that can just shoot a three if they drop um, with Simmons at the four. And then the Celtics, like they're, they're overall, they have so many weapons. They can hit you with so many ways. They're sound defensively. They have no front court. But they are so good in all aspects of the game that I think they have to be included in this grouping. And and Houston, obviously, they hit shots. They can beat anybody. Yeah, it it, it was a, a challenge. I mean, so for me, let's we could jump to Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia. I would say they benefited from this format. You brought up that Denver did for you, and and I think your 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 rationale there was sound, was sound. One of the challenges for me was like I, I don't know. I can never get over the same idea that I don't love them against dominant wings, but I don't love any of these other teams against them except for maybe the Raptors. But the Raptors' reason they're here, not tier one, is the offense, not defense. And so I think that there, there, I, I get where you're going with Denver, and you've seen it more closely than I have. So I, I do defer to you to to an extent there. But let's get to Philadelphia. I mean, with Philly. Ben Simmons at, at playing power forward, really, the most important thing that does is it gets ideally more force spacing and more ball handling on the floor. Somebody who and it might shift Ben Simmons a little bit in the in the half court, though he hasn't done been doing a ton there anyway. But they just their their ceiling is crazy high. I mean, they have a ton of defensive talent. They have enough offense to get going, and Joel Embiid is a phenomenal talent who could be the best player on the floor against almost anybody. So. I, I think that if we're talking best ball, even though we haven't really seen it very much this year, that's why they they kind of have to be in this tier, just because it's conceptually possible, even if it hasn't been very real this year. Yeah, um, and, and what we've seen from it, I think, is really exciting. Uh, every time that he screens, good things happen. I, I think that he's got my biggest thing with him, honestly, all of is Embiid. I don't Embiid's effort comes and goes. If Embiid just like comes out and plays like 
the best center in basketball, which he can. He doesn't very often, but he can. If he does that, they're terrifying. They have weapons around him. They have guys like Josh Richardson. Um, so there's a lot there. Their defense is absolutely beautiful to watch. They have an incredible defense that just like it- swarms you and bullies you and puts so much pressure on you. Um, they're amazing. I'm going to make the case against the Raptors. Sure. Uh, 18th and half court offense, sub 500 record versus teams over 500. One of only two teams in the East top six uh, to do that along with the Pacers. I, I, I doubted them last year and they won the title. I know how good Nick Nurse is. I know how good Kyle Lowry is. I know how good Fred Van Vliet is. I know how good Norma Powell has been. Their offense is still very pedestrian. And I just cannot, like, they are so reliant on their team that has absolutely gamed the regular season, like great veteran teams figure out how to. But the best version of the Raptors, I cannot see beating the best version of the Celtics, the best version of the Nuggets, the best version of the Sixers, the best version of the Rockets. I can't see them that best version beating any of those teams. It's not even like, a, oh, it could go either way. It's just I can't see it. So that's why I cannot include them in that group. I get that. And I think for me, though, what it came down to was I have some more concerns about Philly. I mean, maybe you could say that in best ball you take out some of the worst parts of Philly's offense that you know, Embiid is more engaged and you get into that. But Toronto, you know, both those teams have crazy high defensive ceilings. And with Toronto, we've actually seen it in practice a lot more. Like they, they can do a lot of different systems. Nick Nurse is a wonderful coach. He knows what to deploy and when, which is a huge part. I just brought that up with Doc Rivers. Not that Doc is a bad coach, but Nurse is the most adept I've seen in the league right now. And that doesn't mean – and so that I give them credit for that. But you're 100% right on their offense. It is it is pedestrian. They're, and it's also – and I think you got to this a little bit, but I'll frame it a, a little different way. It's hard to see what Toronto could do offensively to change my mind. You know, like we've had this hiatus. We've, we've seen more variants thrown into – this season than any other season in NBA history, even including the lockout years and everything else, just because this is totally unprecedented and its impacts on players are going to be very disparate. But I don't think as much as he's gotten better that Pascal Siakam became a top 10 offensive player during this time. I love Kyle Lowry to death. I really like Fred Van Vliet, but they're not like they can't do that. So yeah, I I do see this, but for me it was like okay, if I'm going to include Philly, I kind of have to include Toronto because I feel very similarly about the two of them. Yeah, I think I, just for me, Philly hasn't Philly has never touched their ceiling this this year at any point, and are still really good, uh, like good enough, and they can be so much better. And the Raptors, I feel like, have played. And the, and the Raptors fans will say like, "What the injuries?" I get it. I get it. I get it. Everyone has injuries. I get it. I get it. But. Uh, I feel like the Raptors have played a lot to their capacity, and they're good. They're second best in the Eastern Conference, have a great record, incredible season. Nick Nurse is coach of the year, no doubt. Uh, still, I'm just like, I don't think that your best version is going to beat a lot, of te- a lot of the top teams. Plenty of other teams and tiers to discuss with Matt Moore, but first message from our friends at Bet Online. Sports keep coming back. So does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, Bet Online. Major League Baseball is now in full swing, and the NBA has also begun. There's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Make sure you stay tuned, as BetOnline sat down with ex-athletes from the different professional sports leagues as they gave their opinions on what it will be like to play without any fans, health risks, and what a championship means for the 2020 season. NFL Hall of Famer Eddie George seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory, and longtime Seattle Mariner Harold Reynolds discuss all these topics in what BetOnline has called Fandemic. Visit BetOnline today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One. BetOnline to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Visit betonline.ag and don't forget that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. One of the things that I found myself stumbling on, again, I don't spend as much time putting teams within a tier as I do deciding which tier a team belongs in. But I had an interesting thing with the best ball theory of Rockets and Celtics because I went with the Rockets, their offensive ceiling is crazy and defensively I think they can do just enough but I think you can make a credible argument either direction especially if you're a believer in Jason Tatum yeah I think so I think and I am I'm a believer in Tatum I think 
you know, everyone kind of ties so much of what they do to Kemba and his on-off splits kind of back that up. But I, I still think that just their ability to play, like if they have to play Marcus Smart at point guard, like Smart, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, that's still four guys that can all switch. That's still four guys that can all create with the ball. It's still four guys that can all shoot. Having that many wings that can do that stuff is just huge. It's just huge. The only thing, the only thing missing for the Celtics is a big man. Like I like Tice a lot. I've liked Tice since he was a rookie. Um, I love what Tice does. Like he's the kind of big man I like. Just knows his role, does his thing, makes some plays. Uh, I like Grant Williams a lot. I think that there's a lot of upside with some of the younger dudes. But if they had any sort of serious weapon at the four or five, you know, I would have to include them in that top tier. I still think that they can make a run. I think that things are primed. The pay, I wrote about this. I think the Sabonis injury actually opens up the East for the Celtics because I think the Sixers move into the five spot, which means that Boston avoids Philly. Uh, and Boston, I think, matches up better with Toronto and Milwaukee than they do with Philadelphia. So like, there's a lot of capacity there. I think that their best version is just a team that shoots incredibly well and plays tenacious defense and just runs over you with their discipline and athleticism and skill. They're just a great basketball team. And it's fascinating how... And you were right, like how in in a couple a couple of years ago the you classified them the Celtics as tryhards and that they they basically exceeded their talent level. But what's happened is their talent level has improved to the point where now you can make an argument that Toronto fills that Boston niche. Yeah, I mean that's a good. I think it's a good comparison. I think it's crazy to think of the champs as tryhards, but the champs without their best player, um, I think they they over exceed. I, I will say I think maybe the big difference there is is one Lowry. And two, honestly, like for me, like Siakam's awesome, but Fred Van Vliet, like Fred Van Vliet's combination of, of three point shooting and, and playmaking, as well as being a great defender at that size, is really rare. Like he's a starting caliber guy, um, and he should really be there. So I, I didn't put the Raptors in tier two. I did put them in tier three, though. The third tier is Jazz, Raptors, and Heat all by themselves. Those are teams that I'm just like, you have fatal flaws for the Raptors, it's the offense. Um, for the Heat, it's the defense, and for the Jazz, it's their chemistry. Um, they just don't have it, but those are all teams that if they play their best can absolutely make a conference finals. Mine is similar. Um, I So I had the Nuggets here, but again, I, we talked about the, the agreements there, and I had the Raptors above. But that So swap those, basically. We've already discussed that. I have Miami in this tier. And then the other, I don't have the Jazz here, and the reason why is, is Bojan Bogdanovich. If they had Bogdanovich, they would be in tier three or maybe even tier two because we're talking best ball. They would, you know, they, I, I still think I have this weird idea of like how good the Jazz could be. But let's start with Miami. I think that they're the team that is most firmly in this tier to me. Like there isn't really a clear argument to have them above. And maybe you could make an argument that they're below just because they're not amazing on either end of the floor. But Miami, I, I love their personnel. I love Spolster as a coach. And they are uniquely suited maybe this year to making other teams, making series ugly, but then having a chance to win those series too, even against teams that are above them, but not like the top tier. Like, I don't think they can make it ugly and beat the Bucks, but I do think that they could do that against the Raptors or the Sixers or, or you know, the teams of that level. Yeah, I mentioned in the, in, in the Jazz just because the Royce O'Neal thing is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm with Zach Lowe on this point. Like, uh, there's, I don't know why, but I'm still hanging on to the idea of him. Like, I don't know. Like, having he's a really good defender. If he has a really good series, that can wind up being the difference because Bogdanovich had one good series versus LeBron, and we we're all like, oh, he's a good defender, and he has never defended well since. So, like, um, What's crazy about the Jazz is they're actually a really great shooting team. Mm-hmm. And Bogdanovich was a lot of that, but they were one of the leaders in the effective field goal percentage this season. And that's that, to me, is wild because I do not think of them as this really dynamic, crazy offense. The reviews on Billy on, – uh, not Billy, but Donovan Mitchell have been really great in the scrimmages. We'll see if that carries over. The Jazz, I think, can definitely make some noise. I think that they're also probably going to relish how much everyone is like, oh, they're done. They hate each other. They're just an also ran like I, I like them entering into this bubble environment with a little bit of uh, a mean streak and a little bit of resentment. I think that's probably good for them. But I do wonder. I think ultimately I just want to be I, I just wind up feeling that very much that uh, without an absolute A plus creator on the wing and, and Mike Conley's not that anymore and, and Donovan Mitchell isn't that yet. You can solve for Gobert. And once you solve for Gobert on either end by attacking him on switches or um, 
on the other end by making him beat you with any sort of offense, which he has none if he's not just slamming the ball down, uh, the whole system kind of cracks. Gobert, they've built so much of their system around Gobert, and he is not good enough to have as much of the structure built around him as it is. It's not a foundation. So if you if you can chop him out, which you can, the whole thing collapses, and that's why uh, I can't put the Jazz any higher. Well, I said before the season that if Gobert was Defensive Player of the Year again, that he would have really earned it because they took away a lot of the structural support that, that helped. I mean, Gobert was the deserving Defensive Player of the Year the last two years. And be, but having Derek Favors around, having capable defender, it, it made a big difference. It made life easier on him, and it allowed Gobert to shine in the way that he did, and he deserves full credit for it. But now, I, I think it's not only the, that Gobert, you know, if you want to say the idea that he's not good enough, but it's also that I don't know that any center in that more in that vein really could be anymore because like theoretically if they went against let's say the Clippers and Kawhi like, yeah just like Chris Paul Kawhi is not trying to get to the part of the the part of it where Gobert is going to be as effective he's going to the mid-range and if Rudy Gobert is out there then somebody's going to be around the basket getting a bucket and the Jazz don't have enough other defenders but the big reason why I don't have Utah in this tier is I worry about their versatility and this came up a little bit when I was talking about the Lakers that's like okay what can you do if another team takes away or at least limits what you your your primary modus operandi. And the Jazz don't really have it. They don't really have that many other things. Yeah, you can say oh they can do more with Conley, do more with Mitchell, that kind of thing. But offensively and defensively, they don't have a lot of other things to do. And that isn't anyone's fault. I think it's more personnel and not having Bogdanovich than anything else. So yeah, if they get into the right matchup, I think they can they can make life hard on on a lot of teams. But I don't. I think that it's too easy to take them out of what they do, and that's that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, the next tier I've got is that's this is where I, I've got the Mavericks because I just don't think they have the bodies. Thunder Mavericks Pacers, like their best version of their basketball is really good, but I I, I can see them playing the absolute best that they can and still losing to. A C version of tier two and a B version of tier three. So, um, like I, I, they're really interesting. They're they're all pesky. The Mavericks are really dangerous. I think the Mavericks are really dangerous. I noted that uh, Kevin Pelton has them at a forty one percent chance of getting out round one. That 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 made my eyebrows raise when I saw when, those projections. When you when you consider that that they're three games behind anybody for the seventh seed and the seventh seed faces the Clippers. Yeah. Yep. That's that's yep. that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, yep. I, I'm a believer in, in Dallas's ceiling, even though it is so unproven, just because I, th- I think Carlisle's one hell of a coach. I think Luca can do it against the best. I, 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 we, we haven't seen it all the way yet, but we, we will soon enough. And I think they're, like you were getting at before, I think their defense can be good enough. I don't think it's going to be elite. I don't think they have the bodies, the personnel to do that. But they have enough capability. And I mean, if, and Dallas is, is helped a lot by this best ball concept and not going like most likely to win a title because they they could play really good basketball and still lose to the Clippers like that 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 is a, is a very distinct possibility that they get that valiant out that a lot of young teams do in their in their early going and just go hey you know like just because they they lost to a really good team doesn't mean I think any less of them moving forward that is no guarantee that's going to happen because the playoffs are a whole different animal. I have a absolutely I have an absolutely massive tier four, and so there was a, a real line for me. I don't know if it's necessarily fair between Miami because I had had them in, in tier three, and then this other group where it's like, okay, there are teams that I like more and less, but could I really draw a line between them? So my tier four is Pelicans, Jazz, Thunder, Trailblazers, Pacers, and Magic. Wow, and the Pacers would be a tier above, probably possibly if Savonis hadn't gotten hurt, but they moved down in this. The Magic are here just because I love Jonathan Isaac, and I, I, I. it's also partially because I don't love the teams at the top of this tier as much as I think some people do. You know, like the Jazz, we already talked about why I have them a tier lower than you do. OKC, to me, they're a very prototypical, shockingly high floor, not crazy high ceiling, unless Steven Adams just keeps pulling dribble moves out of a hat or something like that. I just, I, I, I think that they're, what they do is, is impressive and I love the season they've had, but I don't, I don't think that they're, you know, their best. If one of the, like, let's say Denver is playing their best. Like, I don't think the Thunder, they, I don't think they hold up super well to that. And same with, you know, you had them, I, same for me with them and the Mavericks and some other teams. So I, let's talk about OKC. Do, do you agree with my general assessment? Um, I think, I think you're a little optimistic on some of them. Uh, so, like, 
I have the Blazers considerably lower. Um, I do not believe that Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic are Dikembe Mutombo and Kevin Garnett. So the way that they've been talked about by some people, like it's uh, a reasonable, the, a reasonable proposal. Like they help. Like this has been the thing with Zach Collins. Like you know who's really good? They also get it. Not just Nurkic. Zach Collins. I'm like, okay, well, Nurkic uh, doesn't shoot effectively in the post. Doesn't shoot effectively as a pick and roll guy. Is a decent, but not elite passer out of the pick and roll uh, is a big body and who fouls a lot and gets away with a lot of contact because he's huge. Like most big guys do, uh, but isn't like some sort of like brilliant defender can't handle in space. Zach Collins is like, yeah, he can roll. He can shoot the three a little bit, but, uh, and he's got surprisingly good hops. Like his dunk on cuts is very impressive. Um, I'm always like, he can't get, Oh, Nope. He got there. Um, he's really good, but they're just not, they are not like top level starter guys. And this defense is still very vulnerable and it's going to continue to be vulnerable. And their second unit is a disaster yes, and will be is. even worse because now Whiteside can't get covered up by the starters. So now Whiteside's on the second unit. And so those units are going to bleed even more. Um, I think they'll be better defensively, but they'll, but that's going to put the offense is going to be a problem. I think what helped, there are two things that I think are arguments in favor of the Blazers. One is their bench is going to play less in the playoffs because they will be playing their starters more and that, that helps out. And I, I don't think that Nurkic and Collins have to be world beaters to be significant upgrades. And I think that that's really where it gets for me with Portland is I, I think the world to Damian Lillard. I think CJ's, he's been looking good since I've seen him. I, li- I like a lot of what Portland can do. And it, again, this is best ball, not, not their, you know, what I expect them to, to hit every time out there. And I think they can do They can do enough to be in this tier it's just, but I, I see your argument, and especially for me, the the it was funny. I was talking about this with, I think it was with Nate a little while ago, and I had kind of glossed over or forgotten in my brain that Trevor Reza's not there, and that's another big argument against this that they don't have wing defenders at all on this team. Yeah, and I think for me, it's also um, the best version of the Blazers is one in which nobody puts two on the ball versus Dame to pressure him because he has real problems with that. And I can't plausibly see any scenario where the Blazers play so well that a team doesn't do that because everyone saw what happened to OKC last year. Like, OKC knows they should have blitzed Dame. Like, they know that. Um, and so, like, I expect them to do it. What's interesting is after Tier 4, the Thunder Mavericks Pacers, I have, my Tier 5 is one team, and it's the Pelicans because yeah. their capacity is insane. Well, they're, and that's, what, that's why I had the Pelicans at the top of Tier 4. Is, I mean, I, 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 it could just work. Like. Like their advanced metrics when they're all healthy are insane. I did a piece yesterday that kind of looked at the layers. Like Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball are terrible <laughs> defensively and offensively in terms of actual efficiency with anybody else around them. You add in Derek Favors, and it's like, oh, they're pretty good. You add in Zion Williamson, it's like they are world beaters. They are devourers of the universe. They become gods uh, with that lineup in short minutes versus weak versus weak competition. But if they can get healthy, like that would be the best ball version is them healthy. They are terrifying. Like they are absolutely terrifying. If they had had their full roster for most of the season, I think they're honestly probably the set. They're battling the Mavericks and the Thunder probably for the six and seven seeds. I firmly agree. And I, I it's kind of incredible for the Pelicans that they, they have a lot of good, like decent defenders, but it's how big of a difference favors makes. Like, I mean, part of it is just the suitability of his replacements. You know, there aren't, there aren't really other big men that have defensive credentials there. And, but I mean, I, I brought up undeniability before and Zion's a good example of where that can go, but also the Pelicans, broadly speaking in his minutes, even if it's not Zion, the gravity that he gets the the eyeballs that he warrants at all times makes life so much easier on everything else and the pelicans have a great capacity i mean their their running game is is awesome and if they could defend even a little bit better then you could see you could see that for i mean feedback loops is as i've talked about and seth partner has written about before i I see the pelicans eat now but again moving forward if they can improve their personnel as, as an elite feedback loop team because they are really efficient on offense when they're on, which means that they don't have to defend in transition as often, which they suck at still. And then if they can get stops, even if it's a few of them, then it's good luck stopping them. You know, like that. that and I think that they, that's why I had them in tier four is the idea that it just works. And I, I wouldn't pick them. You know, I, this, this is not the right year for them because I think the best case scenario is they get the eight seed and they look good in a five, maybe a five game loss to the Lakers. But that would be really impressive. Yeah. Um, next year, I just got Grizzlies and Blazers. I feel like the, if those two teams played their absolute best, they could absolutely beat each other 
or go like they would go one and one. Um, but I don't feel like their best version beats the Pelicans, doesn't beat the best version of the Thunder or Mavericks. Don't and they can't come close to any of those teams above them. Um, and then below them, I've got Magic Kings, Spurs, Suns. In that, uh, I I think the best version of those teams is actually pretty good. Magic have a great defense and they're feisty. And Jonathan Isaac changes some stuff for them. The Kings, the Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and um, just the well Bagley, we don't know, but uh, the ability for them to. You know they they do have some shooting. They're just they're not very well coached, so I can't really visualize what the best version of the Kings is because we never see it. The Spurs, I think, without Lamarcus Aldridge, are honestly like they have a lot of shooting capacity. Their offense should be much better now with uh, with Aldridge out, and honestly, I think their defense probably improves more than people think because Jakob Pertl is quietly very good. Um, the well, Suns, I'm, interested, very I'm interested in the Spurs shooting because I've I've thought of that without Lamarcus just just because I think the like I mean their mid range they have some guys. I mean DeRozan will get get to his spots and everything else like that. But how do you see their offense? flowing without him because i think they're going to flatline um so a lot of the evidence is that the opposite will happen so basically like if aldridge was not on the court everything got better for them they shoot more threes um i think they'll they will run but but i think some of that's personnel based i mean some of that is because when aldridge was on the floor there were a lot of other kind of correlated factors yeah i think for me it's a matter of if you got two mid-range guys that shoot the mid-range as much as uh aldridge and derozan do and they shoot it so efficiently. That's how the the Spurs still have a good offense, is because those guys are really great at it. But it, there is a kind of a cap to it, and I think that they'll run. I think they'll they'll play faster. I think they'll play looser. I think Rudy Gay will run. They'll do a lot of pick and pop with Rudy Gay. I think they'll run a lot of that. And I think that um, I like the ideas of. I think Popovich will come up with more than we expect him to. I think that we're kind of writing them off a little bit too early. That that's fair. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll go through mine a little bit. I'm. I, I so I have the magic in that tier with the Pelicans and the Pacers and everybody else, and I'm I feel a little bit foolish about it. But at the same point, I mean they could be they I think they could be a capable like 500e team in those circumstances. But it could yeah I could see that. But then my tier five is just the Grizzlies who I might be underselling, the Kings and the Suns, and and with all those teams, I think it's like if they play well, they could be feisty, they could be competitive, and if they but but I. And, and so in a best ball circumstance, they can do it. But I don't see them as being undeniable or being truly dominant. And that's why I have them below everybody else, below below tier four, let's say. The Nets and the Wizards are my last tier, and I have no idea what a best ball version of them looks like. I can't imagine the best ball version of the Nets and Wizards with what they have brought to Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I actually have the Nets I have the Nets and Spurs in a tier six, and I'd put the Wizards in a tier seven by themselves because the Wizards, I just don't see any potential series. The Nets have some good players, though. They don't have the straws that stir the drink, but at least they have some drink. The Wizards are just devoid of drink. Um, I think that's it. And, and with the Spurs, I have them with the Nets in that kind of tier six where it could, you know, they could be feisty. They could, they could pull some games, but it, it, you don't. I don't see them really threatening anybody who's actually like good. One team briefly before we get going, I want to mention. I, I actually have a little bit. I'm a little bit more excited about Phoenix's upside. I think that they have me too. Like they have some guys that I enjoy. Aiton's Aiton's capable defensively. They have they have some wings. And even though even if without Ubre, like I could see them taking some games off the of teams. And especially if there's a point. And okay, if, if the format were a little bit different, where they cared more than the other team, I think that they could be there. But the problem is they're probably going to be eliminated so early that I think they won't necessarily play to this potential because it, it'll be dispiriting when they're like, we're out. Yeah, I'm, I've been interested in the, in the Suns. Like, I just feel like they're going to be able to play so loose. They've got no, like they really have nothing to play for. They're, they've looked pretty good in the scrimmages. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited for what they can do. I want to. I kind of want to watch the Suns a little bit. Um, they were sneaky fun to watch during the regular season when healthy. This is such a big thing with them. Is that if they got everybody, they I think they could be a little bit of a pest. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see them. There are a few of those teams that I don't expect to make the playoffs that I'm going to be watching more closely in those first two weeks, especially because the Bucks in particular will have time to sort it out because they're going to be playing a team that is not super dangerous. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go. I mean, this hasn't been a prediction podcast, but if you were to pick a, a, a finals and a champion right now, what would you pick? Uh, the best value is on the Lakers because <laughs> that's how I view everything through the betting prism. Sure, um, I think the Lakers have have a lot of, of value. I, I'll take I'll take Lakers over Celtics. Interesting. Interesting. As my as my finals pick, uh, the Heat upset the the Bucks in round two. Wow. The Celtics knock off the Heat in round three and advance to the finals, and the Lakers win in five. I have the Bucks as the most likely champion because 
it's easier the best to get team? out. Of, it, they're the best. They're the best team, and it's easier to get out of the East than the West. Like I, yep. I think that that's an important part of this. But if I were to pick who I think is going to be, you know, like so, if I were to pick my finals matchup and champion, I'm going to go Clippers over Bucks because I think that they, the Clippers, they can do different styles. I think that they'll figure it out enough. And like the, like I just. I, I feel like in, in a series against the Lakers, they can do more things. And also, both teams are going to struggle to take away what the other team does well. But I think it's harder for the Lakers to do it for the Clippers than the Clippers for the Lakers. Maybe. Um, I will say that I think I think if the Bucks face the Lakers or the Clippers, I love that matchup for the Bucks. And I think the Bucks win in six games, whether it's versus the Lakers or Clippers. I think the only way the Lakers or Clippers win the title is the Bucks don't come out of the East. Okay. Well, that, that's a, that's a, a very interesting a very interesting note to end on. I love doing these podcasts with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball if somehow you don't already. And I'm excited to talk to him. I thought that that was a great conversation to kind of clarify where each of us is at this moment in time and to get really excited. I mean, most of you will be listening to this probably on Thursday or Friday. So basketball either will have started or will be starting imminently, which is exceedingly exciting. And Real GM Radio will, of course, continue to go strong. There are a lot of ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe and download every episode that is so big for a show like this because it will never have a specific schedule it will never come out on a day of the week because that's not how this show works it's not how my guest time works it's not how my time works and word of mouth if you like a single episode if you like the whole thing you can check that out and tell other people to check that out of course as well and leaving a rating leaving a review in the podcast way we're choosing that's really great whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify wherever help other people find the show that's something that that really can make a difference but the single most important thing you can do for this show and any of the that has them is to check out our sponsors that is bet online for this episode you can use the podcast one promo code and get a sign up bonus also of course tells them that it came from us and you can listen to the segment after i finish talking and you can hear more about bet online and from bet online a lot coming up on my docket most of which is i mean all of which is tr- is just just great i mean i'm really really pumped about it recording this on wednesday night and uh just tweeted out the news that nate duncan and i are going to be doing an alternate broadcast under the nba banner for two league pass games we are going to be doing magic nets on friday and then 76ers spurs on monday those will be in the nba app for those with league pass because they're league pass games you will be able to see the whole game you will be able to hear us comment on it and it's it's an absolute dream and the more support we get the more people we have in there the more likely hopefully it is that they will ask us to do it again and it is thrilling for both of us individual for professionally but also for the possibility that this could become something different become some become an avenue for more people for more voices and that's something that i've always valued and hoped that i could eventually provide in some form and fashion you know hopefully my podcasts have done that in some way but this could be a bigger step in in that direction also have a ton of work coming out the athletic Seth Partnow, Dave Dufour, and I did a series. We've already did all the Delete 8. Now we did another four teams in the bubble, kind of previewing, discussing what they're going to be doing. My off-season previews, all of the Delete 8 teams, will, my solo previews will be out before the start of the bubble games, which is extremely exciting. And dunked on. We are going back to five days a week, starting basically on Thursday night, where it's going to be a little bit different for the first week because we want to talk about games as they come up. But five times a week there, doing the NBA cast a lot as well. We'll be posting that calendar. So there is a lot, a lot going on for me, and I'm could not be more jazzed about it. I mean, it's going to be a lot, but it's also going to be incredibly fun. And so thank you to everybody who is a part of that ride wherever you are. And if you have any feedback on this show or really anything I do, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I'll try to respond. I, I do my best, but that is not my guarantee. My guarantee is that I will read it because your input matters and your time matters to me. So thank you so much for listening. Take care. Make it a great day. And listen to this extra segment from our friends at BetOnline. Welcome to Fandemic 2020, presented by Bet Online. I'm your host, Bram Weinstein. We have an amazing panel of guests today. You see Harold Reynolds, who played infield in Major League Baseball for a number of years. You can see him every day on the MLB Network these days in his prestigious broadcasting career. Eddie George won the Heisman Trophy back in the 1990s, one of the best running backs in Houston Oilers' Tennessee Titans history. And Robert Ory is one of the most clutch basketball players in NBA playoff history. 
a number of different championships with three different teams over 16 years. Hi to all of you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me also. Um, all right, let's let's switch over to fans and let's talk about what that looks like, what that feels like. Um, Eddie, you played at Ohio State, so you played at one of the most iconic, legendary venues that there is in American sport. You played in the NFL as well, so let's start with you here. The idea of playing football games without fans—that that feels like what to you? So I, I know what it feels like, and it's it's not it's not fun. It's um, you need uh, the energy to feed off of. Uh, your, 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 whether you're home or your home, you, you need the fans to support you when you're, when you're down, you're trying to figure out uh, how to uh, force through adversity as a team and, and you need the fan support. And also when you're on the road, you, you know, the, the opposing teams feed off of that same type of energy. So the fans are very much a part of sports like anything else. They are definitely play, they play a role in it. And that's the whole point is the give and take. That's why they have home field advantage or home court advantage or home field advantage. It's a definitely a, a, a feel to it. So what you're going to see is it's going to feel like like a spring practice, if you will. It's going to feel like a, uh, a glorified scrimmage. It's not going to have very much meaning without the fans. It's going to be a different feel. Robert, for you, I mean, for your league, they're going right into the playoffs and there's no fans. Um, what was your experience like having fans in the stands for playoff games? And what does it mean to you to not have them in what is the biggest moments of the season for the NBA? Well, for me, I, I, I fed on fans energy and, and I also love going into uh, different, uh, like the visiting teams arena and shutting them up because it was nothing more satisfying than shutting them up and, and you know, having that, that thrill. But I, I, I think sometimes, uh, People don't understand how much as athletes we need fans. We love fans, and we appreciate them greatly. I know a lot of times we can act like we don't by not signing an autograph, but we really appreciate fans because they give us that energy in the fourth quarter, or the, and they let us and, and they, they excite us to get over that mountaintop. I think about when we played um, Portland in Game Seven of Western Conference Finals in Game Four or Game Seven in the fourth quarter. You know, we down twenty points, but we got those fans behind us. To, to to come through and make them nervous. You know, that helped us. That's why you play for home court advantages for these moments like this when you need those fans behind you to get you over the top. So it, it's hard to play without fans. But I will say this. Without fans, you're going to see who is the best. You're going to see who has the heart and, and the mindset to get over the top because they don't have the fans to push them or give them that extra mile. So now the true, the true talented people – I'll go come through at the end. I got to tell you, though, I mean, Harold, I mean, as a fan, that is one of the unintended good consequences here of all of this. That we get to hear the things that we've always wanted to hear that we weren't sure was ever really going on. <laughs> hey, Eddie, Eddie, I'm curious with uh, in football, so, so much of the vocabulary is shared from team to team, yeah. like your audible and plays and stuff like that. How will that play? It's that's that's a great point because you know the um, the Patriots they got in trouble for getting their audibles they're getting their their signals they're knowing when they're checking they're getting so that's that's going to be interesting to, to because the, to have the, the the crowd noise to mute that out helps and you can't pick up on things but when you can pick up like uh, you know uh, check with me you know going right you know uh, Wrangler and and. And, and lefty, whatever it is, I mean, you can you can pick up on those things. So I think the NFL, in, in, in terms of game planning, week to week, they're going to have to change up their vocabulary to communicate what they want from play to play. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. From a health perspective, we've established you guys, to some level, would miss the fans and their presence. But, but what concern do you have about people being in the stands in general? Well... I think if you want to get through the season, uh, it's going to have to be without fans because you just you, you can't risk a fan coming down shaking somebody's hand. Your natural reaction, somebody says hi to you, you want to reach out your hand, right? Fist pump, whatever. What happens if a player contacts COVID through a fan? You're going to contract, contact all the fans and you're going to shut the team down? I just think it's difficult enough to keep the team clean and healthy 
and not to involve fans. And I know that's not what everybody wants to hear, but I think that's where we're at right now. And like I said, this is ever-evolving. Who knows, by the time we get to September, it might totally be different. But I think for now, as we're starting up and trying to just get players on the field, I find it difficult to think they're not going to interact with fans. It's just a natural thing to do. So I think that complicates the problem. That's just my thought. Eddie, what about you? You said you fed off the fans. You liked having them there. Um with the public health and your personal health, if you were playing at risk, how do you feel about the idea of fans being in the stands? I, I think it can be done. I think if you can find the right capacity and you can uh, begin to uh, kind of tarp off different sections of the stadium, because not every, uh, even in normal time, not every stadium is going to be full anyway. So it's only certain markets, certain places. And I think teams that are at full capacity uh, on the average – need to have those plans out. I think if fans come to come in with masks on, they provide hand sanitizers, they're, they're laid out a certain protocol that there are no uh, player-fan interactions, there are no autographs, uh, lay all the rules out on the table, I think it can be done uh, appropriately. I think if you can somehow um, manage the concessions, you know, six feet distance, uh, making sure people go in one way uh, all the time, that they're not – all over the place. If you can provide that in, in, in terms of a stadium environment and that experience, it can be done. Um, I don't think the players can necessarily attract COVID. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. Through fan interaction, just by them being there, uh, it's more on the field that from other players they can get it. But in terms of having fans in the stands, it can be done if it's done appropriately, responsibly, and it has to be well thought out. And they have to check, be able to check the temperatures of people, do a, um, a uh, uh, testing and a screening prior to that. I think it can be done. Harold, would you play? Would you have played? Would I have played? Yeah, I probably would have. You know, I was single throughout most of my career. I mean, through all my career, I was single. I didn't get married until after uh, baseball. So, yeah, I probably would have played. Um, I, I can understand guys that have the challenges, though. Uh, because of the fact that, well, you look at Mike Trout. You know, his wife is expecting their first child in August. And I remember being in spring training before the shutdown, talking to Mike, and he was so ecstatic about being home and asking me, what was it like in the delivery room when your kids were born? And he was all enthusiastic about all that. That's something you think about forever, particularly with the first one. And so now, knowing that the date was going to be in August, he was like, I'll probably miss a couple games, but I'll be back. Then the pandemic hits, and he's thrown into this whole decision of what is he going to do. And I'll throw this at you guys real quick. The challenge for these players is not taking care of yourself. It's all your teammates. Everybody's in it. So I don't know what they're doing when they leave and who they're around and everything else. I think that's what presents even more of a challenge with contact testing, where if someone all of a sudden – outside of your sphere has had contact with somebody. Now you all of a sudden you got to get quarantined. And so those are the challenges. And I know that's what Mike Trout is, is really struggling with. So that said, and that long answer being single, no kids all through my career. Yeah. I'd probably play it. But had I had family like Robert was talking about, it presents a different challenge. Robert, would you have played? If you were still playing right now, would you play? I probably would have because, you know, it, you know, it also depends on where I am at my career. You know, if I'm like five years in, 10 years in, or like if it was like 16 years at the end of my career, I wouldn't do it just because I know I'm older and I know my wife had heart issues and I got a young kid at home. So I, I probably wouldn't play. And plus, I've made enough money that I didn't have to play. So it, it that makes a big difference on where you are. My career was established. So. You know, it's hard to say, you know, and plus I had seven championships, so you know, I'm not trying to win another one, you know, but and, and it's hard to say, man, because you love the game of basketball, you love your sport, and you want to get out there and show your craft and do your craft at the best of its ability, and, and, and it would be one of those things, and you have to really sit down with your family and discuss it and see what they want you to do, and it would be it, it would be hard, but for me, and I know me and my wife, I would have said, no, I'm not playing because, um, you know, I've played enough, and I, and my life 
and my family life is more important than getting some, you know, playing a basketball game. All right, let's end on um, a big picture question. Optimistically, all of the leagues you're going to play, all of them are going to crown a champion. Harold, I want you to go last because baseball is such a unique position with how they're structuring their schedule and, and all of that stuff this year. But let's start with the NBA since they would be the first to literally crown a champion if they can play. Um, is there an asterisk, Robert, for whoever wins <laughs> this thing this year? Um, you know, it's, I, I played in the – 1999 season where, you know, we want to put an asterisk by the San Antonio Spurs season because it was a, it was a lockout. I think anytime you win a championship is a great accomplishment, so there shouldn't be an asterisk. It's not like you, like half the guys didn't try to compete and play, but everybody's out there competing. Everybody has the same advantage that you have. I'm not one of these guys that believe in the asterisk. I think if you get out there and complete, compete and you do what you're supposed to do to try to win the championship, you win that championship. You play hard as an individual. You did your thing. I know a lot of people, I guarantee you, if your team doesn't win it, you're going to say it. And if your you're team right. does win it, he goes like, oh, it's not an asterisk season. We, we could right. like everybody else. So I think, I think when you say asterisk, that's just, that's just bad because everybody had the same opportunity to go out and compete and win the championship. And you should have put yourself in a position to have the best advantage possible to win a championship. All right, big thank you to our panel today. Harold Reynolds, who you can, of course, see on the MLB Network, played a number of years in the majors. Eddie George, a Heisman Trophy winner, of course, one of the greatest running backs in Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titans history, and Robert Ory, one of the most clutch shooters in the history of the NBA, a winner of seven championships and has the rest of them so jealous because he's got seven rings. <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us today. And to the fans out there, thank you for joining us for Pandemic 2020, brought to you by Bet Online.